Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Everybody, welcome to Rightly Dividing the Word. Some people are excited to be here. Thank you for joining us in person and online tonight. God, we're, or you guys, we're so glad that you came. We're so glad that you're joining us online. Um, welcome again to Rightly Dividing the Word with the Building Christian Fellowship. And we're going to pray and we're going to get right into things tonight. Just so you know, we're going to continue on um, in this journey through the book of John. We're, we, Pastor Donald left us off last week at chapter 12, and we're going to dig into chapter 13 tonight. And I'm honestly, I'm Pastor Jenny, for anybody that might not know, and I'm really excited, you guys, to be bringing the word tonight. Um, So let's pray before we get started, before we do anything. Father God, we thank you for this night, God. Thank you so much for being in this building with us tonight, for being in our homes with us, our cars, our workplace, wherever we're worshiping tonight, God. We just pray that you would have your way. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this place. We want you to do what only you can do in our lives, Lord. We're so thankful for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway, God. And we're so uh, grateful for the life and the health and the joy and the peace and all the things that your word brings to us, God. We pray, Lord, that as we hear your word, as we dig into it tonight, God, into your truth, Lord, that we would... um, not leave after this hour is over, God, the same way, but God, that we'd be changed and transformed by your word, God, and that, Lord, you'd help us, Lord, to not just hear the word tonight and then leave this place and forget what we've been taught, but God, that you would help us to apply the things that we learn to our lives, Lord, that we would learn to be not hearers only, but doers of your word, God. Thank you so much uh, for what you're about to do in our hearts, God. We, we open up our ears, we open up our hearts to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 So like I said, uh, last week, Pastor Donald, he dropped us off at the end of chapter 12 in the book of John, and we're gonna pick right up um, with chapter three, or 13, I'm sorry, with chapter 13, but just to give a little bit of summary and reminder of what has just transpired before we get to chapter 13. In chapter 11, we all remember the story um, with the happenings of, uh, almost forgot his name, Lazarus. Lazarus, I love how Pastor Donald said it, was he wasn't just resuscitated, he was resurrected. Jesus showed firsthand for the first time that he was the resurrection and the life. And um, in chapter 12, we see Mary, his sister, her response to what Jesus had just done um, for them by raising her brother from the dead. And her response to that was to worship at Jesus's feet. We know the story where she took the expensive oil and she poured it over Jesus's feet and she took her hair, her glory, and she literally, quite literally, laid her glory at his feet, and she wiped his feet. And worship should always be our response when God does something good in our lives. When we see the goodness of God, our response is always to worship him. So like I said, uh, we're going to start here. We're going to pick things up with chapter 13 tonight. Let's start with verse 1. 
says this, and I'll be reading out of the NLT tonight in case you want to follow along. It'll be up on the screen um, or get your Bibles out. This is Bible study. So hopefully uh, we came prepared to take some notes um, and follow right along. In verse one, it says this, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Jesus had been anticipating his entire life um, for his, his hour. He knew when it was his hour to leave this earth and be returned back to the Father. He'd been preparing for it his entire life on this earth. He also knew when it was not his hour. If you remember back in chapter 2, where he performed the first public miracle of turning the water into wine, his mom came to him. His mother, Mary, came to him and said, look, we're at this wedding and they've run out of wine. And if you remember Jesus's response, he said, woman. I don't know how many of us would get away with calling our moms woman, but Jesus got away with it. He's a woman. My time has not yet come. Why are you bothering me with this? My time has not yet come. So he knew when his time hadn't come, but here in chapter 13, he's recognizing that his time, this is the night before, this is the night that his hour has come. He knows it's imminent at this point. In verse two, let's pick it up. It says, it was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Can we stop for one more minute? I know we're only like two verses into this chapter so far, but can you think about this? This is Jesus's last moments um, to hang out with the ones he loved, his disciples. And they're coming to sit down for dinner And he has to sit at the same table with the person he knows that is about to betray him. Just imagine that. Imagine how you would be feeling in this moment. Verse three, Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. So in chapter 12, we talk about feet, and now in chapter 13, we're going to talk some more about some feet. But these these weren't Jesus' feet. These were the dirty disciples' feet, okay? Jesus picked the last moments that he he was going to be a free man on this earth to spend with the ones he loved, and he decided this was the time he was going to wash their feet. I don't know about you, but if I knew I was going to be soon to be arrested, soon to be tortured, soon to be crucified, I don't know if that's how I would want to spend my last night here on this earth. And yet Jesus did. So why? Why tonight? Why is he going to wash the disciples' feet tonight? Again, can you imagine how the disciples are feeling in this moment? Like, how would you feel if someone wanted to come up and wash your feet? But not only just anybody. I mean, we're talking about the king of kings. We're talking about the Lord of heaven and earth. We're talking about the man that they viewed as and called their master, their teacher, the very Messiah. He was going to come and wash my feet. I don't know about you, but I would be feeling a little uncomfortable. These disciples, okay, let's think about this a little bit more. I mean, I know none of us are real excited about touching feet to begin with, But think about it. These disciples walked around everywhere in their sandals. 
Like, you've seen the Jesus sandals, right? Like, you've seen what these sandals look like. Toes fully exposed, heels fully exposed. I mean, us ladies have to get pedicures regularly just to keep those, you know, feet nice and soft. I mean, imagine years of living on this earth, walking everywhere, and they didn't have paved sidewalks or streets or anything like that. They're walking through the dirt. They're walking through the dust. They're walking through the grass. They're walking through whatever is laid out there for them. And their feet were so dirty. I can't imagine that this is how I want to spend my last night with the people that I love most, is that I'm going to choose to wash their feet. But here's the thing. Jesus, while he was fully man, he was also fully God. And his thoughts are a lot higher than our thoughts. He doesn't always think the same way we think. He doesn't think in a worldly way. And the reality was, he's like, what can I do in these last moments with the people that I love most on this earth, what is it that I can do to leave the biggest impact? What is it that I want to express more than anything else and leave them with the reminder of? Jesus was introducing something that was different than the way um, they had been thinking about things. Jesus was introducing to them a new system, a new way of thinking where things He was introducing them a supernatural kind of love, a love that this world doesn't understand because this is the kind of love where God comes first and others come first. And this is what he wanted to leave with them before he left this earth. Jesus had been telling the disciples about love for a long, long time, from the beginning of his time with them. You know, he said things like, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, and the greatest of all is the servant of all. He'd been alluding to these things all his time with them, but he's like, now I'm going to demonstrate it. Now I'm going to show them. And I'm so thankful for a teacher that would love us enough to actually show us and not just tell us. Let's get into this a little bit further. But he's trying to introduce to us this new system, this new way of love, this new way of thinking. Verse six, let's pick it up there. It says, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Chances are Peter was towards the end of the group, okay? Jesus has gone through all the other disciples. They've all sat there quietly as Jesus did this, even though inside they're probably mortified that their master and their teacher is wanting to wash their feet. But Peter, being the emotional one of the group, had a hard time hiding his feelings a lot of times. So he had to protest and protest loudly. But when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And in verse seven, Jesus replied, it probably should say Jesus replied patiently, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Parents, have you ever had this same kind of conversation with your children? Patiently, like, okay, you don't understand right now, but someday you're gonna understand. In verse eight, no, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Jesus was seeing beyond just what was happening in this moment. He knew there was something more that he needed to show them. In verse nine, Simon Peter exclaimed, okay, first he protested, now he exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Verse 10, Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. I mean, think about it. They're coming to a nice dinner. 
They're going to have bathed and cleaned themselves and put on their nice clothes to come and sit down to a nice dinner. But the one thing that they couldn't keep clean was their feet because they had to walk from wherever to get to where the dinner was. And they were going to walk through the dirt and walk through the dust. Verse 10, Jesus replied, a person who has been bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. You gotta love Peter, you guys. Let's stop here for a second. Peter was the emotional one of the group, like we said. He had a hard time hiding how he felt. You know, when he was angry, everybody knew it, right? Because he would chop ears off of soldiers when he got angry. Like, he was the unbridled one. He was the one that, you know, Everybody knew what he was feeling. I, I mean, I, you don't need to raise your hand tonight or anything, but everybody can think of that one friend they've got in the friend group that you always know exactly how they're feeling about the situation because they have a hard time holding in their emotions. All the other disciples sat there quietly as Jesus did what he was doing. No matter how mortified they were on the inside, they let Jesus, they sat quietly as Jesus demonstrated whatever he was demonstrating to them that they didn't fully understand in the moment. But isn't that how you would feel if your master, if your Lord, if Jesus was here in the flesh and came and wanted to wash your feet? Peter is there thinking like, Jesus, you are too great to do this for me, and I am too unworthy to receive it. That's how we would be feeling on the inside. And if this isn't like, you know, a type and shadow of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus is going to make. Like, I'm not worthy for you to even wash my feet, yet you're going to even go to the point of sacrificing your entire life, your life for me. Let's keep reading here. Mm. Let me go back just for a second. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. You know, he was making the point not just to Peter, but to everybody else that was listening into that room and everyone else like us that we're going to be sitting here in March of 2021 reading an account of this story of what happened. He was making it clear for all the future generations of people who were going to read this so that they know all about this. He was making a point. If we do not accept the humble service of Jesus to cleanse us, we're not going to belong to him. Jesus does not wash our feet literally as he did the disciples that night, but he did humble himself and die on a cross to cleanse us from sin. And we have the obligation or the duty to receive it. And I think this is a good place just to stop for a second a little more and talk a little bit about humility and pride for a minute. You know, sometimes we show a servant's heart by accepting the service of others for us. If we only serve and we refuse to be served, that can be a sign of deeply rooted and well-hidden pride. And what's funny is that pride, a lot of times, it's hidden to us when we have pride in our lives, but everybody else can see it so clearly. Pride is a killer. Pride has a strong scent involved with it. But for whatever reason, we can't smell it on ourselves, but everybody else that we're around, they can smell it. Why was it so important, getting back to this, for Jesus to leave his disciples with this act of humility as his 
last moment with them on this earth. The last time that they would be all together, that he would be free and could talk to them and and do anything in this moment, tell them anything. And this is what he chooses to do. And I believe that he wanted to show them what true love for someone actually looked like. True love is a complete transparency, a complete vulnerability, complete exposure, true intimacy and humility is required to show real love to someone. He wanted them to understand what was lost in the garden and he wanted to come and restore it. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they sinned? They made clothing for themselves. They had to cover up. They wanted to cover up. And Jesus wanted his disciples to see that he was here to restore that intimacy that was lost in the garden. Quite literally, when Jesus died on that cross, and we'll see it more as we get further into the book of John, he came to rend the veil. It says to rip that veil that separated man from God. That that something in us, I mean, the problem is, the concern is that there's too many of us Christians walking around today still trying to cover up, still wearing a mask, quite literally these days, but also figuratively speaking. Like, I don't want you to really see the real me. I'm uncomfortable with being honest and transparent. I'm uncomfortable, but that's what real love and real relationship requires. And that's what Jesus was trying to demonstrate to them. Like, look, even I, I'm going to take off my robe of that symbolized royalty and symbolized his authority. And he's like, I'm going to take this on, take this off so that I can show you that I'm also a servant, that I can do the lowly things, that I can um, touch your feet, which feels like such an almost intimate moment. And he's like, because I want you to see everything about me. I want to be completely transparent with you so that you can be completely transparent with me. Jesus came to demolish the thing that separated man from God. Let's go to verse 12. And keep going. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? I love how Jesus is so concerned with like taking this moment slowly, just the same way that like we're taking this book of John slowly, week after week, verse by verse, because he wants to make sure like this wasn't just a moment that I want you to to experience right now and then quickly forget. He's like, I want you to understand what's happening here. Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. Verse 14, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. I tell you the truth. Slaves are no greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I love how Jesus, like I said, he just he kind of buttons it all up. He's like, he shows them the example. He's been talking to them over and over again about this new way, this new kind, this new system that I want you to establish in the earth, this love, this supernatural kind of love that puts God and puts others before yourself. I need you, I've, now I've, dem- I've told you about it. I've demonstrated it for you in this moment. And now I'm just going to summarize it and I'm going to check in with you and make sure like, do you understand what I'm trying to say? 
That's how important this is to Jesus. He just showed them what to do, and then he tells them to make sure to do the same thing for each other and that God will bless them for doing it. I don't know about you, but I want to do the thing that God is blessing. I want God's blessing on my life. And if he's saying, this is it, I washed your feet, now you wash their feet. It's not all about just going around and washing each other's feet. It was a symbol of service and putting others before yourself. These are not concepts that you're going to hear a lot about in the world. That's why Jesus, and this is the last thing that Jesus wanted to leave them with before his crucifixion. Let's go keep going here. Verse 18. He says, I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the one I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you you will believe that I am the Messiah. What the is a little unfortunate is that the disciples, he's telling them right now, he's basically to give, about to give away who the one is, who the betrayer is of the group by using a prophecy that was prophesied back. Saying these things to all of you, I know the ones I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, talking about the prophecy, the one who eats my food has turned against me. Listen, I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. He's giving us a little insight into the Holy Spirit that's about to come. He's letting them know like, hey, I know I'm getting ready. I'm letting you know I'm getting ready to leave this earth, but I will not leave you alone. Verse 21, now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. I love the emotion behind this. You know, like I said before, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man, meaning he had emotions and feelings that he had to deal with too, just like us. And it says right here that he was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, He didn't just say, he exclaimed it. It's like got the exclamation point at the end of it, not just a period. I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Verse 22, the disciples looked at each other wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. I love this. This is John writing this book and he is talking about himself, the disciple that Jesus loved. He didn't just say, I was sitting next to Jesus. He said, no, the disciple that Jesus loved, he had to make that point very clear, was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? He doesn't ask Jesus, who are you talking about? He asked John, the one that Jesus loves, you know, can you find out from Jesus? Like, do you know? I mean, you're the one he loves, so maybe you know something that the rest of us don't know. And you know, there's Peter again. Like, he can't keep quiet. Like, when he's riled up about something, you're going to know about it. Who's he talking about? Verse 25. So that disciple, again, he he doesn't say, I leaned over to Jesus. He just, that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus responded, 
It is the one whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. Again, he's, he's letting them know in a subtle way who the betrayer is because and when he, this is what happens next. And when he dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. What? He just said, who I give my bread to is, is the one. And then he dips it and he gives it to Judas. And yet somehow this still goes over the disciples' heads. I mean, but think about it. Can't we be like that sometimes? Sometimes we're so absorbed in what's going on in our lives and wondering what's happening with us that we can be completely oblivious to the obvious thing that God is trying to say, that he's trying to smack us right in the face with. Like, here's the answer, but we're too busy trying to figure it out on our own. And, oh, man. So many times we've got a problem in our life and it's like, okay, God, you gave me this brain so I can come up with, I used to have a boss that would, when there was a problem at work, he wanted us to come up with five different solutions to that problem, five, every time, five solutions. We could not come to him with one solution, even if it was the most obvious answer. He wanted to hear all five of them. Don't come to him with two, three, or four. You need five different solutions, even if only one makes sense and the other four are completely crazy. Like, that's what we do sometimes. We start, we, we have a problem or a situation or something we're trying to figure out, right? And we're going to think of all the different solutions on our own when Jesus is like, I've just given you the obvious answer. But anyway, it went right over their heads. And it says this in verse 27, when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to go do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. They still aren't realizing what's happening. Verse 29, since Judas was the treasurer, some thought that Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. Verse 30, so Jesus, or sorry, so Judas, why did they make Judas and Jesus's name so close together? They both start with a J and end with an S, okay? But so Judas left at once going out into the night. I wanna go back for a second. That was a lot of verses to read. I wanna go back to verse 21, where it said that Jesus was deeply troubled. And I mean, most of us are probably thinking, yeah, because he knows what's about to happen to him. I would be troubled too. Uh, they're gonna arrest me. They're gonna torture me. And they're going to hang me on a cross to die. Of course, Jesus was deeply troubled. Wouldn't you be troubled? I mean, like I said, once again, he was fully man, but he was also fully God. And I just believe that, you know, Jesus wasn't just troubled about himself and what was about to happen to him. Rather, I believe his spirit was deeply troubled for Judas and what was about to happen to him. Think about it. We started off this chapter in verse one. He talked about how he loved the disciples and that he loved them his whole time with them on this earth until the very end. And it didn't, nowhere in there did it say except for Judas. Even the ones we love when we've been betrayed you can't just turn that love button off just because you know of what they've done. And I believe, listen, like I said, early on, Jesus was preparing and anticipating his whole life for his hour to come. 
and now we're here. His hour has come. He has had his whole life to prepare emotionally and spiritually for this moment. I mean, literally, quite literally, Jesus, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane where he sweats bullets of blood. He's that stressed about what is about to occur in his life. But in this moment, I truly believe that this fully man, fully God was thinking about someone other than himself. That's what he was doing. That's what he was demonstrating by washing the disciples' feet. He was thinking about others. And the reason he was um, so deeply troubled was not just about what was going to happen to him, but what was about to happen to Judas. Because Jesus knew what he was about to endure, but he also knew, and I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but Jesus also knew what would come after what happened to him. He knew he was going to be once again returned to the Father and seated at the right hand of God. He knew the victory that was going to come after the sacrifice. But with Judas, he didn't have that same hope. He knew what Judas's eternity was going to look like. He was troubled, not just about what was going to happen to him, but what was going to happen to someone that he loved so much. Let's keep going. Verse 31. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. I love this. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the fact that he's going to be arrested and tortured and killed ultimately. He immediately jumps to the fact that he's going to bring glory. He's going to enter into glory and bring glory to God in the process. He looked past the pain to what the purpose was. He looked past the, the moment of struggle and sacrifice and pain, and he looked to what was going to come of it. He gave us the perfect image of how we should face our problems and our pain. Like, this is only for a moment. It won't be like this forever. And in the end, he's promised us the victory. The victory is already ours. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. But Jesus is focused on the glory that's to come rather than the battle that he's about to face. In verse 33, he says, Dear children... I love it. He's still calling them children. It's a term of endearment. He knew they weren't kids, but it was like the fully God part of him was speaking at this moment. Father God was saying, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. He's like, I really need you to get this. I need you to grasp this. There is a new system. There's a new order. There's a new way I want you to live your lives from this moment forward. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. And he brings it all back again. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I love this because 
He's not just saying again, just for those in that room, but to all of us for future generations to come. Like, look, the only way, it's not just about you guys. I already said, you guys are already clean. You guys are already saved. You guys are great. You've spent the last, you know, three years of life with me. You're, you're, you're fine, but I need my other kids. Remember, he called them children. He's got a bunch of other kids out there in the world. And the only way that they're going to know you're mine is by the love that you have for one another. That's our testimony. That's what wins the world, the ones that are still lost, the kids that are still out there scattered, that the whole reason Jesus came was to restore relationship between God's kids and Father God. Like, that's what it boils down to. And he's like, this is the way. This is the way that they're going to be attracted to the things of God is by the way you love one another. And unfortunately, this day and age, and probably throughout history, unfortunately, there are people that proclaim to be Christian that aren't demonstrating this kind of love. But that doesn't mean that we don't still have that obligation as God's church. Like, look, when people walk through these doors at the Building Christian Fellowship, like, I want them to see us showing that kind of love, the kind of love that prefers one another over themselves, the kind of love that's like, you know, when that says that, it's like, okay, that's not my preference, but that's their preference, so that's the way we're going to do it around here. The, the love that says, you know what, let me, you know, let me serve you, and I'll allow you to serve me. It, it, it goes back and forth. He's like, this is what's most important for you guys and the rest of this world to know and to see is that kind of love. Once you've encountered the love of God, I don't know if anybody in this room tonight has encountered the love of God. I'm pretty sure you have, or you probably wouldn't be here on a Tuesday night or, or spending your Tuesday night watching online. But man, once you encounter that kind of love, like it's not, I, I almost hate that you use the same kind of word, the same word, love, to describe a worldly love and a godly love because it's so different. It's nothing like what this world has to offer it. And once you've encountered it, you're never the same. Verse 31. No, no, no. Let's go down to, let's read this again, starting at verse 36. He said, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Talking about children. I mean, Peter is starting to remind me of my kid right now. Like, I can't leave the house unless she knows where I'm going, when I'm coming back, and why she can't go with me. Um, verse 36, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? I mean, that's how I feel like he's stomping his foot, like a little kid when they're having a tantrum. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. This is what Peter is telling him. Like, Peter is so passionate. And Jesus answered, die for me? Oh, it should again say, like, maybe in the Amplified, because there's more, you know, it amplifies everything. There's more words to it. But it should say, Jesus patiently answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three, you will deny three times that you even know me. Oh, you'll die for me. Okay. But before this night is over, you're going to deny that you even know me. Good old Peter. 
And honestly, maybe right there in that moment, in his passion, in his emotionalism, in his excitement, maybe he would have died for Jesus right there in that moment. But the reason that he failed later when he was tested was because his devotion was based on emotion. And that's the thing. It's like, we all get emotional. Emotions are a vital part of our our Christian life. If they weren't, God wouldn't have given them to us. Okay, God created us. He knew what he was doing when he created our personality types, when he gave us these emotions. He gave them to us for a reason, but emotions cannot be our foundation. Our emotions are gonna go up, they're gonna go down, they're gonna go left, they're gonna go right, they're gonna be happy, they're gonna be sad, they're gonna be angry, they're gonna be confused, they're gonna be all these things. Emotions change. Our foundation cannot change, it has to remain the same. Our emotions cannot be trusted. Poor Peter. You know, he would die for Jesus, but he couldn't stand being laughed at for Jesus. Like he couldn't stand to be, he didn't want to be embarrassed to be associated with with Jesus, but he would die for him. And I feel like, you know, here's the thing. Here's that subject of pride coming up again. Pride is a killer. Pride kills relationships. It kills our purpose. It can be a killer of intimacy because it keeps us from being our true selves. Instead, I'm going to be the person I think someone else wants me to be, or I I need to be perfect. I need to be covered up. I I can't let them see um, how ugly my insides really are. If they only knew what I really thought about or how I really am feeling at this moment. No, pride kills relationships Pride because pride kills intimacy. The good news is is that as we get deeper into the book of John, we're going to see a different Peter. And we're going to see a more broken Peter, a more humble Peter. We're going to see a more mature Peter, ultimately, where his walk isn't just built on emotion anymore, but it's built on the work of Jesus on the cross and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that's the thing. Like, we as Christians as well in this day and age, we can't let emotions be our foundation We need the empowerment of the work on the cross, and we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and to direct us and not let our emotions lead us and guide us and direct us. And I believe that Jesus was able to be so patient with Peter during this whole scenario because he knew what Peter was going to be. He wasn't just looking at the Peter right now. He's like, I understand. Same way with our children, right? Like you look at your kids and you're like, okay, I know you're whiny and crying and all those things right now because you can't have your way, but I know you're not always going to be this way. So I can be patient in this moment because it's a stage of growth that you're in right now. And Jesus was like, Peter, this is the stage of growth that you're in right now, but I created you with all of those emotions and all of that personality type. And we see later the great things that Peter's going to do. So... Um, Jesus knew the man that Peter was eventually going to become the same way that he's patient with us, you guys. And he knows who we're going to be one day. But it requires us, like, since I have a little time, it requires us to be real. It requires us to, 
take down, when he rend the veil, rent the veil, when he ripped it and tore it apart, like that gave us full access to God face to face, like right where he is. And the thing is, there's a, a verse in chapter four of the book of John, which I really would have loved to teach that chapter, Pastor Donald, but he gave me chapter 13. But um, where he talks about, if you remember where he was talking about the time has come and now is where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And I always wanted to know like exactly, like fully understand what does that mean to worship in spirit and in truth? And one of the things as I was looking into what those words, the definition of those words in the original Greek and all of that was naked. God wants us to come. <laughs> Who are we to think that he doesn't already know everything anyway? But yet we still come with the pretense. We still come um, with the mask or with certain things. Like I'll, I'll open up this area of my life, but I'm still going to keep this part hidden He's like, no, I, I paid too high of a price to have a real, I love that we talk about it every Sunday, a real relevant relationship. We all know the difference between a real relationship and a fake relationship, right? Man, there's nothing like being in a relationship with someone that you can be completely exposed, completely yourself, and be completely comfortable I know I'm getting off track a little bit tonight, but the biggest thing that I just want to go back and summarize is that Jesus came, and in these, when his hour had come, these are his last moments, basically his last words with the ones that he loved, with his disciples. The biggest thing that he wanted to express to them was this new way of love, this new system that he was trying to um, impart that like, look, it's not about you anymore. It's about God first and others first. And so I hope that you got something out of this tonight um, and are under, have a little deeper understanding of the kind of love that Jesus was trying to express to his disciples before he left this earth. Um, we're going to pray and we're going to end, end tonight. Um, let me just pray for you. Father God, just thank you so much, Lord, for your word, God. You are the teacher, and we thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us to truly absorb the things that you are teaching us as we journey through this book of John, Lord. God, we pray that, Lord, we would not just leave this place and being hearers only of your word, but, God, that we would be doers, God. Show us ways. First thing, when we walk into our house tonight or when we walk, walk into work tomorrow morning or wherever it is that we're going, that, God, that you would remind us and show us ways that we can demonstrate this new type of love, God, this type of love that puts you first, that puts others before ourselves, God. God, we're so thankful, Lord, for the Building Christian Fellowship, God, that we have a place to come together, Father God, and, and show each other this type of love so the world will know that we are truly your disciples, God. God, and we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your life-changing word. God, you're such a good God, such a good Father. Lord, I pray a blessing over everyone that's here in this room tonight, God, everyone watching online, worshiping with us online tonight, God. Just pray, God, a blessing over every household, God, every individual, Lord, every family, every marriage, Lord Jesus. And I just pray, God, that you continue to strengthen and encourage people, God, from their, in, their, in their inner man, Father. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. 
Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, don't forget, we'll be here next week, same time, same place. Thursday night, Elevate, 7 p.m., and Sunday morning, 11 a.m., uh, Sunday morning church service. Amen. We'll see you.